Hey, goal getters, it's Cindy Kuzma here, one of the co-hosts of We Got Goals. For the month of December, Gina, Maggie, Kristen, and I are giving you and giving ourselves a special holiday gift. We are re-airing some old episodes of the show that have stuck with us, that are full of lessons that resonate still and, and sometimes hold even more meaning as time passes. If you started listening recently, you might not have heard these episodes before. I mean, we've been doing the show for almost two years now. Even if you have, we invite you to do what we've done, which is listen again in a new season of your life and see if you take something deeper or different away from these interviews. This week, we're replaying an episode from July of 2017 when Gina interviewed Paralympic wheelchair racer Amanda McGrory. I've been lucky enough to meet Amanda before, and she's incredibly talented and smart and and also kind. And this conversation has lodged in my head lately for a couple different reasons. One is that I just finished a big project and have weathered a few other changes to my freelance writing career lately. I've kind of been pondering both my next big goals and the way I'm going to go about reaching them. The way Amanda talks about setting her sights on similar targets, like different uh, years of Paralympic Games, but changing everything about the process, her training, and the way she's going about it, it really has me thinking about ways that I can shake up my own routine. And it's reminded me that sometimes when you're feeling a little bit lost or unmoored, it's not actually your overarching goals that that need to change, or at least not much. It could just be that you need a new perspective on how you go about them. And if you change one thing, or in her case, change everything, um, you might just get back to where you're feeling energized and motivated and, and making progress again. And the other thing is the way she talks about her role as a mentor and giving other people with disabilities, especially young people, a vision for what's possible so they can set their own ambitious goals. I mean, that's something that I've always admired about her. But as I reflect on it now, that is really a mindset that all of us could adopt. And it ties back into that shared vision of success. We talk about that a lot here at A Sweat Life. Every once in a while, I get kind of bogged down by comparison and self-doubt. I might see others around me who are my age or younger or people in my field or an adjacent field, and they're achieving some level of success or some big goal that I haven't yet attained. And I feel envious or or sad or, you know, like I said, um, comparing myself to them and and feeling doubt about my own path. But when I think about how Amanda talks about this, it's kind of like, well, I could turn that around. And instead of getting envious, I could realize that what these other people have done is, is the same thing that she's done, which is set an example and show me like just what I could do, what I could achieve if I really put my mind to it and, and worked hard at it. So When I think about that, you know, I guess I'll kind of let you ponder which way of thinking propels me forward better. So I hope that you also enjoy this conversation with Amanda and that you enjoy all of these conversations this month. Thanks so much for listening and happy holidays from us at We Got Goals. Welcome to We Got Goals, a podcast on which we talk to high achievers about their goals. I'm Gina Anderson-Cohen. With me, I have Cindy Kuzma and Maggie Umberger. Good morning, Gina. Good morning. Good morning. Now, Gina, you talked to someone really interesting this week. I talked to Amanda McRory, um, and she is a Paralympian. She is a track athlete. Every time I meet someone who has a gold medal, I get a little bit giddy. And she has one of those, as well as many other medals, silver and bronze, which are also very important. She is incredibly accomplished. She's also a 20-year athlete. She has so many experiences under her belt. But she did something pretty crazy leading up to the Rio Olympics. Isn't that right? 
she did do something crazy leading up to Rio. So she has an interesting sort of failure story that you'll hear on the podcast. And the way that she overcame her failure was to just wipe the slate clean and start over. And again, it's not failure because she was competing on a world level, but in her mind, it was failure. Um, She'd sort of reached her ultimate worst case scenario at the London Games. And so as she approached Rio, she wanted to just start over and what better time than coming off of what she viewed as almost a loss. I think that was so interesting. And it really speaks to the power of the mind in athletics too, because she sort of said, yeah, something worked. I don't even know what it was. Maybe it was just the idea that I had wiped the slate clean and regained my confidence. Um, Fascinating. Super interesting. And another thing I found to be really, really interesting was the idea that she brought in this other brain element going back to graduate school, and it also improved her training. So you look at sort of college athletes, and when they go pro, sometimes they lose the passion. And that was also true for her. She was sort of finding herself being drained of the passion she had for her sport because she didn't have an outside interest. I compared it to a relationship as we were talking. And I think it's super applicable when you don't have anything outside of that relationship, you lose the luster inside the relationship because you're just focusing on one thing. But when you're having to compartmentalize and you can be a full person, sometimes everything gets better. She talked about how she also finds it important to serve as kind of a mentor and an example to other young people. Can you tell me a little bit about that? Yes. So when she uh, found herself in a wheelchair, she didn't really have anyone to look up to until she found herself at this camp. So before that, her only vision of what someone in a wheelchair could do was her next door neighbor who was elderly or sort of someone's grandma she had seen. So in being that vision of what someone can become to children, she thinks she can help sort of foster that that activity and that athleticism for a new generation. And here's Gina with Amanda. Girl, I said I'll be on the road. I'll be back. I'm just reaching for a goal. So don't be upset when I'm not around. So I'm here with Amanda McGorry, which I'm pronouncing correctly, oh. yes. Mm. And you don't live in Chicago, but you are in Chicago for a very special initiative. I am. I came up last night and as part of a representative for the Chicago Marathon, I'm headed in a few minutes uh, to visit the Shirley Ryan Ability Lab to do a sports day with some of the inpatients there. And for a lot of the inpatients, this will be their first time seeing any adaptive sport um, and getting a chance to, to try out some equipment. And so that's big for you. I know you mentioned we talked a little bit about this before tape was rolling. That's big for you because you get to be a role model for these people. It's huge for me. I had a really hard time adjusting to life, going from an active five-year-old to a person with a disability. Um, And I'd never, at that time, I had never met anyone else who was young and active and had accomplished things. My idea of someone with a disability was someone who was older and sat at home. And so for me, getting involved in sports, meeting some other kids, and learning about all the things I could still do was huge. And the opportunity to be that person for someone else is is fantastic for me. And you are obviously that for someone else. You're an Olympian. You have many medals, one of them gold. One of them gold. Um, (laughs) Many silver, many bronze. So so you're incredibly accomplished. So can you talk to me about, I, I can guess what a big goal was for you, but can you talk to me about what a big goal was for you that you accomplished and how you got there? 
So the, the biggest goal um, that I've accomplished most recently, I was a second place finisher at the Boston Marathon. Boston is always a really tough race for me, but I also broke a 24-year-old American record in the process. And the former record was, I think, 134.30, um, and I broke it by over a minute, so the new American record is 133, and that was incredible for me. I've been chasing it for a really, really long time, but to, to finally achieve it was pretty incredible. So it's the course record or the American record? Um, so it's it's not the course record there. Yeah. Um, it broke the former course record, awesome. um, but it is it is the official American record. I was the highest American finisher in second place. Mm. The former American record also came from the Boston Marathon in 1994. So it had been hanging around for a long time. So you are a record holder. I am. Yes. That's incredible. Thank you. So can you say you're the fastest woman? Um, yes, I can say that I have finished the fastest marathon by an American woman in history. Yes! That's incredible! Thanks! Oh my gosh, you should start every day saying that if you don't already. <laughs> Just tell people. Yeah. Them, Hello, Excuse my name's Amanda. Me. Did you know that I'm an American record holder? It's very nice to meet you. Um, if you don't already, start that right now or I'll just start doing it for you so you can seem humble. I'll that's just follow perfect. you around. That sounds good. I'll be your hype woman. Um, <laughs> so that's incredible. How did you get there? Oh, so years, like, yeah. <laughs> years and years of training. Um, I started doing marathons in 2006 on a bribe. Mm -hmm. I did not want to be a marathoner. I wanted to be a middle distance athlete. I thought that the 400, 800 was going to be my bread and butter. And unfortunately, I was not very good at them. <laughs> and I kept trying and I kept not getting faster. And so my coach and one of his former teammates came up with a brilliant plan to bribe me to do a marathon in Colorado which I did, and I hated. What I was the bribe? I wanted to go to an elite track camp, mm -hmm. and they told me that I couldn't attend the camp unless I did this marathon because I didn't have the qualifications to go yet. Something, something, something. They made up this big, long, elaborate story, and young, green, 20-year-old Amanda mm -hmm. bought it. <laughs> I recently learned that it was all fabricated, and I was going to go to the camp anyway, but they let me believe this for like 10 years. So, and here you are today. And here I am. So, did a marathon in 2006, hated it. Three weeks later, got talked into doing a second marathon, took 17 minutes off of my time, nearly broke a course record, and won the race. And then I was hooked. So, since 2006, I've been training six days a week, roughly 10 sessions a week, putting in over 100 miles doing marathon training. Wow. Okay. So I have so many questions. One, how did it go from being something you hated to being something you loved? Was it the feeling of accomplishment? I think that was definitely part of it. One of the biggest things was probably that the first marathon I did was the Colfax Marathon. And it's a tough one. It is not a good first marathon. It's in Denver, so it's at altitude. And the last nine miles of the race were a climb. And so for a first marathon, having never pushed 26 miles before in my life, I was like, oh my God, why do people do this? This is terrible. I cannot breathe. I hate this. Everything in my body hurts. <laughs> my second marathon was uh, Grandma's Marathon in Duluth, Minnesota. I am from Minnesota. And I'm very familiar with Grandma's. Oh, it's wonderful. I was just there actually mm -hmm. last weekend. But it's, it's great. When the weather in Duluth is nice, it is probably, I tell everyone they should do it as their first marathon. Yeah. It's like cruising, rolling hills, it's sunny, it's a beautiful course. And I did that and it just felt, it felt so much easier, it felt so much more natural to me. I hit the end of it and I was like, I can do this. I think, I think maybe we finally found it. And here you are. And here I am, somehow. 11 years later, still doing them. Yeah, still doing them <laughs> still and doing, doing them. them on an Olympic scale as well. Absolutely. So talk to me about 
Beijing, your first Olympic Games. What did it feel like to qualify for the team? Qualifying for Beijing was incredible. I started racing in 1997 as an 11-year-old kid, and from the start, once I found out about the Paralympic Games, that was my goal. All I wanted to do was to go and to race the Paralympics, and originally I thought that I was going to you know, run the 400, which I didn't. But to qualify for Beijing, and then to enter Beijing uh, with potential of being a medalist, that was like every dream come true. So Beijing was fantastic. I came home with four medals, including gold in the 5K. Went to London in 2012 and had a terrible experience. I don't know if I was in my head. I don't know what happened, but I came home empty-handed. It was absolutely awful. I had really high expectations for myself, and I didn't meet any of them and I didn't know what to do. I had a few frustrating years of training after that. I felt like I was working really hard and nothing was paying off. And so about a year ago, right before the Rio games, my coach and I had a long talk and he was like, well, let's just do a complete overhaul. So we changed everything. I changed my diet. I applied to grad school. I got a part-time job. I changed my seating position. I got a new racing chair. I changed my stroke mechanics. We changed my training. We changed absolutely everything. And all of a sudden I was like, hitting times I had never hit before in my career. So that put me in a really, really good place coming into Rio. Uh, I wasn't feeling too confident before that. I was still carrying a lot of that baggage, I think, from London. But whatever it was, and I'm not sure if it was the change of everything, if it just felt like I was giving everything a fresh start, but coming into Rio with potential to be a medalist again was was fantastic. So two highs, right? Yes. Uh, Sort of sandwiching this, it sounds like sort of low. You had Beijing where you performed incredibly, Rio where you did really well as well, and London. uh, How did you sort of recover from that? How did you bounce back mentally? I had a really hard time with it for a long time. As an elite athlete, once you feel like you get things dialed in, it's really difficult to change them. And so we had been talking about making some changes to my training and some changes to just my, my setup and my equipment for a long time. But that's a scary thing because things can either go really well or really poorly. And probably for the first year or two after London, I was hesitant to make those changes because things were still okay. I was performing all right. I was finishing in the top five in most major marathons, which is not bad at all. Um, It's not where I wanted to be, but I was looking at those performances and those times thinking like, well, I'll just keep working and I'll get stronger and I'll get faster. And I finally hit the point a year out from Rio where we talked about this and I was like, you know what? I'm realistically, I'm not in a place right now where I'll medal. I'm not in a place where my performance is matching my goals and my expectations for myself, so let's just go ahead and do it. I'm not losing anything at this point, and we've got nothing but potential for growth and potential for gain. That's awesome, because you saw the upside in that sort of like, well, here's the downside, I could do nothing. Here's the upside, I could accomplish everything that I'm shooting for. And since then, I hear the positivity in your voice and your overall sort of being, so it sounds like it's made an emotional change as well. I think so as well. I really, for a long time, I I think I'd lost that love of racing. I forgot why I did it. I'd enter races because it's what I did and I had yeah. done it for so long without really feeling that, that passion. But I think that that's really come back in the past, past year or so. Do you think that adding grad school and sort of like a passion outside of the sport helped you do it? Because I know that it, it can be easy for athletes to look at their sport as a job right. and lose that sort of luster. 
Absolutely. I was talking about this a little bit earlier today, and I think that was huge for me. My best performances when I was in Beijing and the few years following that were when I was an undergrad at the University of Illinois. Mm -hmm. And I graduated and took a few years off to focus on racing, do a little bit of traveling, get to do all of those races that I'd always wanted to travel and do, but wasn't able to because I was a student. And that's when I saw my performance slowly declining. And I think that going back to grad school and having another big goal to focus on mm -hmm. really helped bring a little bit of structure to my life and a little bit of balance mm -hmm. uh, in a way that I was missing when I was only focusing on training. Mm -hmm. It's really hard when you have a bad day at training and all you're doing is training and all you're doing is racing, it's really hard to let go of that. Mm -hmm. And so I'd get up in the morning and I'd have just like a real crap morning session. Mm -hmm. I'd be tired, I wouldn't be performing the way that I wanted to, and I would just carry that with me all day yeah. and then go back again for an afternoon session and see the carryover from it and then get up the next day and have more of the same. But this, I have a lot going on, and so I get up and I do my morning sessions, and then I've got class or I've got work, and I've got other things to fill my time and mm -hmm. keep me from focusing and obsessing about a terrible morning session because I've got more stuff going on now. Yeah, it's really interesting. It's almost like when you're in a relationship, and yeah, all you have is that boyfriend. Absolutely, and you you lose track of your friends because it doesn't matter how great that boyfriend is, it's still going to eventually sap the love out of the relationship because all you have is that. For sure, and you become. 100% too focused on it, and there's no balance at yeah. all. Fascinating. Okay, so right now yes. you're doing things outside of the sport. You've got an incredibly full schedule. What are you doing for fun? Oh, my goodness. Napping. Napping. <laughs> <laughs> um, I definitely still still have some time for fun. Still get to hang out with my friends, mm -hmm. go to concerts. I like to read a lot of books. I love to travel, and so it fits in perfectly that – I do marathons all around the world, and so I usually get to fly in a few days early, mm -hmm. get to explore a little bit before I race, and so all of that fits together really nicely. But yeah, napping mostly. Napping. When I get when I get some spare time, lately I've been watching Parks and Rec and napping. Oh yes, Parks and Rec is a high quality show. It's so good. Okay, so let's talk about the future. Yes. It sounds like you've got your goals on lock, you know what they are. What is a big goal that you are striving to accomplish, and how are you going to get there? So. My immediate goal, the biggest goal I had, was to take the momentum I had from Rio and to carry that over uh, for the next four years leading up to Tokyo. I had a great games in Beijing, and then things slowly kind of tapered off leading up to the London games, and I really didn't want to let that happen again. So I came off a high in Rio, mm -hmm. and then went straight into the marathon season, racing Chicago, New York, and then starting off the 2017 season with Tokyo. Um, and all of those have been great so far. I'm running some of the best times of my life, mm -hmm. um, finished in the top three in everything so far. Uh, so I'm really happy with that. Mm -hmm. My next goal is to take all of that, and I just want to keep it going. I want a gold medal in the 5K mm -hmm. in Beijing, but I would really, really like another gold medal in Tokyo. I think that I'm, I'm getting maybe towards, towards the end of my career, and I would love to, to finish it out with a gold medal performance. Yeah. What makes you think that you are getting towards the end of your career? <laughs> That's a wonderful question. <laughs> um, so I've been, I've been racing for 20 years, yeah. and I've been racing internationally for 11. And I've spent a, a lot of time and a lot of focus purely on my racing career. Mm -hmm. And so I've been playing a little bit with the idea lately of moving on and exploring some other goals in my life. Mm -hmm. I'm working on a master's degree in information science right now, mm -hmm. and so I'd like to see where that takes me. Possibly explore the potential of starting a family, things like that. And it's really hard to, as an elite athlete, it's really hard 
to see those goals mm -hmm. and to, to dream about those things in the future because I feel like all it does is take away from my performance in the here and now. Yes. And I really need to be present with my goals for my racing career and those don't fit into it right now. And mm -hmm. so I think that after Tokyo, I'm going to dedicate myself 100% to racing for the next mm -hmm. three years. And then after Tokyo, I'll take a little bit of time to, to reassess and explore and see if I want to continue racing for another four years or if maybe it's time for a little bit of break to, to explore some other opportunities. You're on the same schedule I am, the three-year plan. So what's interesting is I hear you sort of saying that you need to focus, but you have these other goals. We, we've talked to other elite athletes. We've talked to other sort of elite high achievers, just alpha people. Mm -hmm. And if you ask them what they're going to do next when they're in the middle of, of their their life's work, essentially, yeah. they're unable to come up with the answer. We, for example, we spoke with Tori Bowie, and mm -hmm. she could not think of what would be after her track career. So hearing you say, like, I have these other goals, and those are the things that would make me end my career. Right. It's, it's incredibly interesting because it's so in line with everything else we've heard, but it's also interesting that that's... It's not your performance, it's not that you're injured, it's that you know that you need to dedicate yourself wholeheartedly. Absolutely. So how do you keep your head in the game now that you sort of have, you have these twinkles in your eye? I think that having, having a goal of Tokyo mm -hmm. and having a goal for my performance in Tokyo is hugely beneficial to that. I also think that carrying, uh, riding off my success from Rio and mm -hmm. carrying that momentum has been super beneficial. It's hard when you're not performing well, or, and not necessarily well, but up to your own personal standard. Not necessarily winning everything or setting course records or winning medals, but just knowing that you're training and you're performing to the best of your ability. Mm -hmm. When you're not doing that, it's more difficult to set those goals and it's more difficult to look to the future. And that's why I'm so dedicated to keeping this together and carrying on with, with what I started in Rio and for the next three years. Mm -hmm. So we're in Chicago now. Yes. And you'll be back in October. I will. So talk to me about the Chicago Marathon and what you'll do on that course. So I'm really excited for that. We're in the midst of our track season right now. Mm -hmm. I'm headed to World Championships the second week of July, um, which is also really exciting for me. It'll be my first time back in the London Stadium mm -hmm. since I had a terrible time the last time I was <laughs> in the Olympic Stadium. So I'm looking forward to having a good performance there and then coming back and switching over to do a little bit more marathon training, get a little bit more miles in. I'm coming off of a win at Grandma's Marathon mm -hmm. last weekend, and I think that puts me in a fantastic position coming into Chicago strong. Mm -hmm. Doing a marathon in the middle of track season is always a big challenge, and it hurt for mm -hmm. sure, but I'm, I'm feeling strong. I'm I'm feeling confident, and I think that that win there is going to, to help me carry over into October for a strong race in Chicago with some incredible competition. Mm -hmm. The field is very rich this year. It's the 40th anniversary, yes. uh, so it's going to be an exciting year. Absolutely. So as of last year, the wheelchair division was officially a part of the Abbott World Marathon Majors, mm -hmm. and that's been huge for us as a whole and our level of competition. It's set up as a one-year series, and I believe we need to do five out of the six races, and we're ranked on points from them. But because of that, it's really given all of the wheelchair athletes from around the world a huge push mm -hmm. to compete at as many of the majors as they can. Um, and so all that's done is made the field deeper and stronger and more competitive. And as an elite athlete, I always want to put myself up against the best to see where I stack up, to push myself to be faster and to be stronger. And so I'm super excited about it. So World Marathon Majors, that's a big change for your sport. Can you also talk about sort of how, in racing 20 years, how the sport has changed? <sighs> My God, <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, it has come such a long way. I mean, 
20 years ago, wheelchair athletes were essentially fighting to be included in these marathons. Mm -hmm. There were lawsuits at a lot of the major marathons just fighting for equality and the chance to compete. Mm -hmm. And going from the chance to compete to competing for a major prize, like being the World Marathon Majors Champion, it's huge. Even from where I started, so when I started doing marathons about 10 years ago, just the increase in the level of competition, the increase in the prize money, it's become a, a real possibility to make a career as a professional yeah. athlete, to, to pick up some sponsorships, to make enough prize money to, you know, pay the mortgage. Mm -hmm. um, and that wasn't, that wasn't a reality 15 years ago, 20 mm -hmm. years ago, maybe even 10 years ago. Oh, that's amazing. I, I was getting a little emotional just hearing you talk about that. <laughs> I get real fired up about it. <laughs> oh my God, it's so um, And it's so cool to be a part of that, to be a part of that mm -hmm. growth and to know that I've been a even just a small part of pushing yeah. that forward um, and helping the sport grow and become more mainstream. Ah, it's amazing. Thank you so much for being a part of We Got Goals. It was a pleasure to have you. Thank you very much. It was great. Yeah, I said I'll be on the road. I'll be back. I'm just reaching for a goal. Hey, goal getters. Cindy Kuzma here. Just popping back in to let you know that we are about to play a goal from one of you, our listeners. We would love to hear from you. That's right, you. If you'd like to be featured on this podcast, just record a voice memo with a goal that you've crushed, a goal that you have for the future and how you plan to get there, or your best goal-getting tip. Email it to cindy at sweatlife.com and you could be featured on an upcoming episode. Here is you with one of your goals. One big goal that I've accomplished this year is to start my online fitness business and um, it's starting to go well and another goal that I have set for 2019 is to go back to school to get my doctoral of physical therapy this is John Hall this podcast is a sweatlife.com production and it's another thing that's better with friends so please share it with yours you can subscribe anywhere you get your podcasts. And hey, if you could also leave us an iTunes rating or review, we would really appreciate it. Special thanks to Jay Mono for our theme music, to Ryan Deffitt for editing, to our guest uh, from July of 2017, Amanda McGrory, to TechNexus for our recording studio, and of course, to you, our listeners.